to Tax Yak, a tax banter podcast. We love yakking about tax, so we've invited a range of tax experts and practitioners to have a chat with us. We hope you enjoy this episode of Tax Yak. Lynn Gibson is my name, and I am a senior tax trainer at Tax Banter and your host of today's podcast. I am joined by two colleagues uh, from Tax Banter. Uh, Leanne Hayes and Jenny Dayborn. Every year at this time, there is a lot of information out there about what you can and can't claim in your tax returns. All of a sudden, morning television presenters uh, become the resident experts of, um, of our tax claims. Lee and Jenny are going to help me unpack the truth in any of this misinformation or myths out there. Lee and Jenny, thanks for joining me on Tax Yak today. It's lovely to be here. Hi, Lynn. Hi, great. Okay, let's get straight into it. Um, we want to know, of course, when there's many issues that we have regarding work-related expenses. But, Lee, um, what's the uh, um, issues that do arise with our um, tax-related expenses? And why is, well, it, why is it of interest? Why is it of interest? Well, I think, Lynn, there's just a lot of um, myths out there, a lot of work-related expense myths. Like you mentioned in the intro, every um, local television host thinks they're a little bit of an expert on what you can and can't claim. And look, the reality is the tax office have what they call a tax gap. And this is a difference between what they collect in tax and what they would collect if everybody was 100% compliant. So it's a big focus area of the tax office. And the ATO estimates that for the individual non-business space, which is where our work-related expenses are, this gap's about 6.4%. So whilst that might not sound much and, you know, following some of these myths might give us a deduction that we might not otherwise get and maybe it's just a couple of hundred here or a few extra kilometres there, the reality is that that 6.4% gap actually represents $8.4 billion. And that's billion when the government dollars. starts opening its eyes. Billion dollars, $8.4 billion. So it's a massive focus area for the tax office to close this gap. So if they're out there looking at the same thing that, you know, the, the average punter out there is looking at and the tax office sees some of these myths out there, it's very easy for them to actually go and focus on that in, as part of their compliance activities. Um, given the ATO attention, whether we, um, I guess, inadvertently are following some of these myths or intentionally, we're really on the ATO's radar. So we really do need to sort out some of this fact from fiction. Well, thanks, um, Leanne, because it's amazing that, you know, where people just think it's a few dollars there or, as you say, a few kilometres, it adds up because we've got so many taxpayers, it adds up to quite a bit. So, um, Jenny, just tell me then, what is the, the real issue? What is the general deductibility uh, principles that you've got to apply when you're looking at work-related expenses? Well, if, if you're an employee and you're earning your salary and you incur expenses that are um, related to that income, then, then arguably they should be deductible. But you've got to remember, you've got to have actually spent the money. You've got to not be, have been reimbursed by your employer, but also you need to keep your records. Now, when you buy something, so if I'm a tradie and I go and buy some tools, then surely I get a receipt. So I need to keep that receipt. And I've got to be able to show that that, as, that, that expense is connected, a direct connection between my income 
and, and there's going to be a direct connection between the income and the expense. So if I am the trade and I do buy the new, you know, hammer or something like that, then, you know, do I need that for my work? Then have I got that deduction? But you've just got to show that there is that connection between the expense and the income and that you weren't reimbursed by your employer. And that's a big issue for a lot of individuals. They may actually be reimbursed by their employer and not take that into account when they do the tax return, which means they've effectively double claimed. So the word nexture, that often is um, is looked at um, with this work-related um, expenses. So that is that where we're tying up what we've spent and making sure that it is applicable for what we've earned? Yes, that's right. That's right. So if I'm a hairdresser, for instance, and I buy an apron to wear over the top of my clothes when I'm dyeing somebody's hair, uh, you know, that's that I need that apron for work. So I've got to show that there's that connection between the work and, and the apron and the expense for the apron, uh, rather than just wanting to claim all sorts of things that everybody else tells me that they claim. Uh, you know, just because other people say that they claim, you know, work boots doesn't mean everyone else can claim work boots. You've got to look at your job, where you earn your money, what you spend your money on and make sure there's a connection between the two and then keep your receipts. Right. Yeah, so I've um, noticed... I was going to say, I've noticed over, over the years, you'll talk to some people and they'll think because there's an exemption in the law for substantiation, they just get a deduction for it. So, for example, um, we know there's an ex exemption or a substantiation exemption for travel expenses. So you just think that you can claim up to the commissioner's reasonable amount as a deduction, but you've still got to get through exactly what Jen's just mentioned. You've got to get through Section 8-1. Mm -hmm. And that goes for that magical, and I'm putting inverted commas, um, magical $300 that people think they automatically get um, each year as part of their work-related <laughs> expenses. And I'm sure yeah. you've, you've got I, an example of that when you were in the uh, in the ATO, haven't you? And, uh, absolutely. And, yeah. So can you tell us about that I can't that believe one? you remember that. Yeah, I um, was a graduate in the ATO. So as part of that, you do sort of a, a couple of months on the, on the front desk there. And, and a guy came in, handed me his tax return and said, I've completed this except for the deduction. You know, that automatic deduction, you know, the one everyone just gets, the deduction. You know, the, and he kept saying it. So being the good little ATO officer, I reminded him very, very carefully about Section 8-1 and you get a deduction to the extent you have incurred it in getting producing your assessable income, there are no automatic deductions in the Australian tax system. That's right. So that $300 is just saying that if your work-related expenses are under that amount uh, and you have spent the money, uh, you don't have to substantiate it. And what we're finding now in audits, aren't we, is that the ATO is going and actually asking the employer and saying, is this person supposed to have travelled? Has this person, have you reimbursed this person for these amounts? And so you can imagine how embarrassed you'd be if your employer said, no, we've reimbursed them, but yet you're claiming it on the tax return. So they're getting smart. Uh, the ATO is, is becoming smarter at doing that type of reviews. Yep. And the other thing with that then is that what I also say is that if the ATO, like to me, uh, in terms of arguing with the ATO about work-related expenses, that you're not going to go and spend a lot of legal fees on defending your $500 claim or things like that. But it is very easy for the ATO to do random audits that actually lead to a much bigger 
audit because if I work for an employer and I have a car claim or a uniform claim or a whatever it is and the ATO questions me on that and I was either reimbursed by my employer or I didn't need to use my own car Imagine, so I might have my deductions tonight, which is correct, but imagine if there's 300 other employees with that same employer. All the ATO would then have to do is do a little search in their system to see how many other employees with that employer are claiming those types of expenses. And it would be very easy for them to audit those other, you know, two or 300 workers as well. So, you know, the data matching system that the ATO is using is very sort of, um, as in Tony Abbott's words, I suppose, robust. Um, but the, um, the, the way that they can just data match and run spreadsheets and little computer programs through things is just amazing. And people are just going to, you know, it's not just me doing, you know, a little claim here or getting a bit extra there. It actually is going to reflect on the other people that I work with as well. If I get caught with a fake D1 claim, then what's the chance that others with that employer have got the same uh, problem? And it may be that the employer reimbursed us for our travel and nobody uh, nobody put that through their tax return or declared that. And perhaps that's even because it's not on the payment summary and uh, possibly it should be. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, uh, so what's the problem? I mean, have we got examples of this mis- misinformation um, out there? Have we been able to find any in the in? So, yes. let, let, nodding. Yes, yes. <laughs> Who wants to tell oh, us about? I stumbled across. I stumbled across, um, I think it was an ATO announcement about some of the sort of things that they've been seeing, particularly in this environment where a lot of us have found ourselves working from home, perhaps where we haven't previously. And things, I guess, when you're in the office, things like the uh, tea and coffees given to you free of charge and even toilet paper. So the tax office has seen evidence of people trying to claim things like toilet paper and tea and coffee because they're working from home. No, I'm pretty sure that's not incurred in gaining or producing your accessible income. Um, snacks, that's private and domestic in nature, isn't it? Um, Childcare, those sorts of things. Or private and domestic, and that's the difference, isn't it? Because even though you say, well, I need to eat to be able to work, it is of a private mm. and domestic nature. So, Jenny, have you seen any um, articles or have had? Yeah. Um, so, Jenny, the, have you had any? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, basically, the, one of the issues that the ATO is raising uh, at the moment is that, uh, well, we're all quick off the mark trying to do our 2020 tax returns, but also uh, just the typical roll forward of my deductions from last year. So whatever I claimed last year, I'll just claim this year. And, you know, and if that is a, a 5,000 kilometre claim that I made last year, well, maybe I did do 5,000 kilometres last year, but maybe I didn't do that many this year because for the last however many m- months many of us haven't been using our car for work at all. So we've just got to be really careful about just doing what we always do or, you know, saying to the accountant, well, you know, well, I'll have whatever everybody else is having or I'll have what I had last year because it just doesn't work that way, even though so many people um, think that it does. That's right. Yes. Okay. So what is actually new this year? Um, we're used to, you know, being able to claim, as you say, um, your uh, work-related um, other expenses, such as your car, etc., which we'll talk about in a moment. But there are a few new things this year. So, um, Lee, um, is there something different about our home office running expenses that we want to have a look at? 
Yeah, of course. And again, I guess this is a reflection of the current environment with more people working from home. But usually we claim home office based on either actual. So I use the example of trying to work out how many kilowatts per hour the lamp on my desk uses, which is beyond my capabilities. So therefore, I would normally use a 52 cents per hour rate. But even the 52 cents per hour rate is reasonably... um, difficult because you actually get on top of the 52 cents per hour for your running expenses, depreciation of your um, electronics. You also get your mobile phone and the internet. And I just think that internet in particular is really a hard one because at the moment, I've now got children back at home because we're all working from home school. So now I've got to apportion the internet usage, not just between what otherwise would have been almost 50-50 between my husband and I working from home, but now you've got the other factor of the kids in there. And do you take into account overnight when things are downloading or updating? It's all of that complication. So in light of, I guess, making it easier during COVID, the tax office issued sort of a shortcut method, which is 80 cents per hour. But the trick with the 80 cents per hour, of course, is firstly, it's only for a pretty limited time frame. And for the life of me, I can't remember when it started. The 1st of March. And uh, yeah, 1st of March. But um, today's announcement is that it was supposed to stop at the 30th of, September, uh, 30th of June. But today they announced it's mm. going to go to the um, 30th of September. Yep, certainly. So we've got an extension for that anyway, but then that's it. So with the shortcut, you then don't worry about the mobile phone. You don't worry about the fact that I'm incurring all these expenses on Zoom calls or whatever. It is just 80 cents. So I was speaking to um, just a, a friend during the week who purchased a beautiful new monitor to sit on his desk while he was working from home and said, oh, I'm using the 80 cents per hour. This thing costs less than $300. Can I claim that as well? And the reality is that 80 cents is it. You're not getting anything else. So I think that's something that we've probably got to keep in mind, I guess, with the um, home office expenses as well. And that was set up, wasn't it, for COVID? But the 80 cents, you could actually use that even if you weren't just coming and working from home for COVID. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So again, I, anyone who listens to my training sessions gets to find out about my whole family. Um, my husband works from home, um, has done just for the last 12 years. Um, so we've got the choice. So during that 1st of March through to the 30th of September, you can choose whether you go with how you've normally done your home office expenses for the running expenses, or you can use this 80 cents rate. You can only use one. So I guess, Mm. I think Jen alluded to the fact that there's been people that have perhaps been claiming both for the same period. Can't do that. Or Um, or claiming the 80 cents and all of their internet and like your friend saying, oh, I'm going to write off this monitor and all the rest of it. You you know, you can't do that. It's a choice between... between the two. But the thing that I'm concerned about is people are sitting here now saying, well, I've got the choice. I can go back now and say, I want to claim the 52 cents and all of my other, you know, sort of uh, uh, internet things, etc. But how, what's the rules around substantiation for that, those additional amounts? Well, um, you, you need to substantiate your usage. And that's why I say it's actually reasonably complicated because how do you do that? I, for mobile phones, for example, I've always found it quite challenging. The tax officer's really long-held view here is you look at calls. So you look at the phone calls and you work out a percentage of your um, mobile phone expenses based on the calls made. Well, the tax of ex- my phone calls... 
but he'll accept yeah. a, a four week four week period oh absolutely yeah four yeah. week period so you could do it for a mm -hmm. four week period so that's where i'm saying um the pattern of the usage for my phone for example has fundamentally changed in the last mm -hmm. four months since been doing sort of online sessions to how it was before so even then and before that Oh, that's the only way of contacting me. So I'm not entirely sure I'm sort of agreeing with, with the phone calls as the, me the methodology to use. Um, but do a four-week diary. Have some sort of substantiation. The reality is you need to prove your point to the tax office. You have to show how you used it. They don't have to show how you didn't, if that makes sense. That's Which right. Which is right. This is Nicole, one of our other, you know, our fellow trainers. Uh, I always um, repeat her words in that you have to show that the AGO is wrong with evidence, and then you have to show that you are right with evidence. And it's that that we always fall down on because we didn't collect the evidence in the first place. Hmm. Well, thanks, Lee, for that. And um, if you want any more information about um, the 80% uh, amount, there'll be a blog uh, being uh, uh, published either today or on Monday with just those that information because there is a third alternative, isn't there, that you just sit down and work out your depreciation, how much, and it's additional cost. Don't forget it's the additional cost just saying, well, my office takes up this much room in my house, so it's it's 20%, you take 20% of any, everything. No, it's 20% of the additional costs. So there's the actual, the 52 and the 80, 80 cents. And so that's information's in the blog. Now, a lot of people, of course, in this, in this um, uh, you know, sort of scary area, and uh, can I say I'm in Sydney and my two colleagues are in Melbourne, Melbourne, so I'm not as scared as them, although I am out and about, and I'm starting to think face masks uh, are probably the way to go. So, Jenny, are face masks uh, not facial masks and getting a, a glowing skin, but those face masks to stop COVID, are they tax deductible? Well, you, you've got to, it, it's quite interesting because those little bits and pieces that are sort of seem to be private and uh, in nature, you know, many years ago we used to say, well, the ATO would say that the sun hat and the sunglasses and the sunscreen weren't deductible. And over the years we've realised that, well, the sun is actually quite dangerous. And I am sure that every teacher out there has a specifically brimmed hat for yard duties that they refuse to take home where anyone else so it's got to be 100% deductible because we now accept that the sun is dangerous so if we're showing that that 8-1 that connection between the expense and the income you know if I'm the teacher and I've got the sun hat sunscreen etc we accept now that there's the connection so that's like it's old news now we've got sanitizer and face masks and whatever else you think well again if I am in a position so my sister's a teacher and being pajama day she's gone off to school in her pajamas today and her face mask you know so at the end of the day if you if you are in the environment that requires the sanitizer and the face mask arguably well they would be incurred to generate revenue you're being put in that position for work and this is a you know it is a, a protective item because it's protecting you from injury or illness. And we all know how um, terrible this illness is. That's right. So the fact that we as tax banter um, presenters are mainly doing it as Zoom at home and we put on our face masks to go down and get our, our cheese and biscuits and wine for the Friday <laughs> evening, um, that's not going to help, help us as such because no. it's not necessarily incurred in us earning our income. Just off topic, even though 
my job as host to keep you on topic, I'm going a little off topic and just talking about donations because I'm concerned about that area. We've had you know, just such a bad year. We've had the drought where people were asked to donate, you know, to the drought, go and buy things from the bush. Then we had the bushfires and the same thing with that um, pull on our resources or the request. Um, and, and and certainly Australia has been very, very generous. Um, and now we've got the COVID. And if you look at the COVID, what they're saying is that uh, charities that were set up from, um, you know, from the uh, beginning of March through to the beginning of March 2022 that are, are for COVID and COVID benefits, those too can be deductible uh, gift recipients. So what I just wanted to um, to express to everybody is that don't just assume because it was for the bushfire, the drought or for COVID, it's going to be tax deductible. We know it has to be to a deductible gift recipient and to be over, over $2. The other side of the coin is what Jenny was saying before, people just pick up what they did last year and they pop it into this year. You might have donated to a particular charity for the last five years. This is your sixth year donating, so you think it's going to be tax deductible, but a lot of these charities have sunset dates. So there's been quite a few in the last few months that have been open from the 1st of July 2019, but they're closing on the uh, 30th of June 2025. So they're only a six-year charity. So again, don't assume what was done last year and don't assume your clients just because they've got something from what well, we had made in the bush which was uh here in sydney and all these people from um the the bush came up and uh and it was just before christmas and i bought my christmas cards and i bought a whole lot of stuff you know exorbitant prices giving back to the bush and of course i can't claim a tax deduction for those even though i would have liked to have any other comments on those ladies um the, the other thing with donations i think that we, we tend to focus on people claiming donations when they can't. I actually think there's a lot of people who can and don't claim. So they make donations and they forget about it during the year and don't necessarily keep the receipts. And, and often I'm, a, I'm guilty of losing my emails down the pile of emails. And, you know, I've made uh, over the years like donations through uh, whether it's, uh, the, you know, the fundraisers on through internet where family members of, you know, donate money and I'll, dye my hair green to save the orangutans in Borneo and I just do that just because that's just family and whatever and then you get a little email saying and here's your receipt for tax purposes and it's like oh I didn't even think about tax I was just getting the niece off my back basically giving them $50 and you find that you get these things but unless you actually put them somewhere that you're going to remember and especially early in the financial year like you remember tax time May and June but if we spent money now what's the chance that a lot of clients out there actually whether it's the donation or work-related expense what's the chance that clients have actually forgotten about it by the time tax time comes because it's not like we're doing accounts where you see you know debit expense you've just got an individual salary earner got a got a stick pin somewhere where they stick their receipts that's all a shoebox that's all you need but I think that there's a lot of people who actually claim who do incur expenses and don't claim that's right, exactly. Okay, so what else is always crucial um, when we are looking at our um, our tax return and our work-related um, deductions are things like car and travel expenses. Jenny, what should we be concentrating and on focusing on that for the 2020 year? Well, there's a couple of things, Lynn. The 
the first thing is that uh, working out what's a car expense and what's a travel expense and not just saying I use my car for work so I'll go and use the cents per kilometre claim or the logbook but which expenses get included there so yes it's my petrol and my rego and my insurance and my you know Vic Roads or RSV or whatever your state um uh, you know, repairs what it is, but you've also got things like your uh, road tolls or parking fees. Now, when I've got a car expense, then I'm looking at the costs of running that car, but your road tolls and your parking fees, that's the cost of where the car went. And so you might claim a, a logbook on your car expenses, but that doesn't include your road tolls or your parking fees. They are item by item are they work or are they private? So I think that people sometimes just think that's the car claim that I'm going to make, whether it's 5,000 kilometres or thereabouts and or a logbook. But it's also that in addition to that, if I've spent $10 going through a, you know, a tunnel in Melbourne, you know, 10 times to go to a client, well, that's entirely tax deductible in addition to my 5,000 kilometres. So sometimes, again, I think people can underclaim rather than overclaim. But the other thing with the car claim is that it's got to be your car to be able to claim. And, you know, and I know that sounds silly because I often use the example, you know, if you're doing somebody's tax return and they come in and they're wearing their uniform and they drive into your car park in their car, you know, do we ask them, you know, do you use your car for work? We probably do. And then we say, well, is it your car? Do we actually ask that? And the reality is we probably don't because we assume it's their car. We know that they're driving it. Now, it would be very easy for the ATO to see my tax return, my D1, go off to Vic Roads in Victoria and just see whether I own a car. Now, if I don't own a car, how can I possibly be claiming D1? If I'm paying mum $50 to borrow her car, then I can claim $50. I can't claim cents per kilometre on mum's car. Now, having said that, just because I don't own a car in my name doesn't mean I don't have a car, that it could be my spouse's name. So that's not so bad because it's a, a marital asset. But how many parents hand their cars, their secondhand cars to their kids? Because you want them to leave your car alone. So you give them the keys to your old one, but you don't go and do a roadworthy and you don't transfer it to their name. And they it's their car. Now, it's in my name. So that's going to stand out if the ATO checked this. But can we show that it's really the child's car? Now, who pays for the expenses? You know, can they sell it if they want to? But the biggest issue is if I was the ATO, I would just ask for the insurance policy or I'd probably get that from the insurance company anyway and see whose name is listed as the primary driver and which address is it living at because what's the chance that it says mum's name and mum's address and that's going to be really hard for me to show that it's really my car and we've just got to really be careful about this because you can't claim logbook or the cents per kilometre on a car that is not in fact yours. Um, and that's where you can only claim the expenses that you actually incurred. So the petrol you put right. in. That's yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. And that's what I say. Like if I borrowed my mum's car to drive from Melbourne to Ballarat to back to Melbourne again, 230 kilometres, you know, 
But if I paid mum $50, then my deduction is $50 and, and that's it. Now, one, one of the, I always joke though, one of the reasons we don't tend to, um, I'm not a control freak by any means, of course, but uh, one of the reasons that parents don't tend to um, transfer the car into the kid's name is you want to, uh, you want them to leave your car alone. You want them to have a little bit of freedom, but not too much. And if they get a speeding fine or something, you will certainly know about it because the bill will come to use. So yes, isn't that terrible of me to think like that? Okay, so thanks thanks for that because that's all important. The other thing too, of course, we've heard, you know, from an audit point of view that, of course, on the cents per kilometre, that has gone, last year it was, 68 cents uh, per kilometre and this year for the two th for the from the 1st of July 2020 onwards it's 72 cents a kilometre but the thing there is that you can only claim up to 5,000 kilometres you have to have some sort of a record like a diary notes of what you've actually um, uh, how many kilometres you've gone but uh, I just as a word of warning the Commissioner has said that if he just sees the 5,000 up to 5,000 well you might be expected to explain why it's just at 5,000. And of course, if you're under, you must be claiming under. The other thing too, Jenny, isn't that if I have two cars myself and I'm, you know, like got a hot rod and a, and a, a, a people mover and I use both of those uh, sports car, Lee's last, laughing at me because I said hot rod, more like a sports car and a people mover. If I do use both of those for work related, am I allowed to lots of yes. cents per kilometre? Yes, oh, that's cool. right. It's, it's 5,000 kilometres per taxpayer per car per year. So if I own two cars then the, and I use both for work, then I, and I am able to claim that. But what I have to remember, though, is 5,000 kilometres per taxpayer per car per year, but not per use. So you have to be really careful if I'm claiming 5,000 at D1 for work-related expenses, and then when I get to my tax-related expense area, I want to claim my kilometres to them from my accountant. Then if I've already claimed 5,000, that I can't claim any more as a tax-related expense in there. So it's, it's the, you know, it's not per use, it's per taxpayer per year, uh, you know, per, per car. The other thing too with the, with the car is that, um, you know, we, we, ask, we ask the client if it's their car, but then like, we need to ask them if they'll reimburse for their travel. Now, we shouldn't need to ask them that because, you know, the AGL would say that the employer reimbursing us is not a reimbursement, it's an allowance, but it's one that must always appear on the payment summary and yet it just doesn't. Many employers reimburse their staff, debit travel, credit bank, it's gone, done. Whereas it needs to hit the payment summary because otherwise there is a real risk of double dipping. Now, we just say, well, it's your car, you weren't reimbursed and then I would always ask them if you if the ATO asks would you be comfortable getting a letter from your employer saying that you need to use your own car for your own expense now I'm not saying get the letter but just check that the client would be comfortable getting the letter because often that will will sort the the fabricated claims out from the true claims because in the event of an audit the first thing the ATO is going to want is a letter from your employer confirming that you had to use your own car and you were not reimbursed and that would be a little bit uncomfortable for an accountant to have let that slip through but again imagine if there's two or three hundred workers at that employer how many further audits could come about because of uh, you know claims being uh, claimed or made when they aren't in fact real we've been reimbursed
That's right. So thank you for that, um, Jenny. Uh, Leanne, I was just wondering, um, self-education is another area in our work-related expenses that people, um, you know, deal with. Can you just give us a quick rundown on so what self-education expenses would be and what can be claimed? Yeah, look, with self-education, I always remind people that you've got to show that there's a nexus. Again, just Section 8-1, there's got to be a nexus to your income earning activity. So whatever it is that you're studying, and it doesn't necessarily have to be formal education. Um, it could be CPD. I guess it's the difference between where you claim it on a tax return. But you've got to show that it relates to your current income earning activity. So it either maintains your current level of skills or improves them for your current position or um, it's about giving you the opportunity to earn more income from your current position. What the self-education can't do is open up a new income earning activity. And I think one of the mistakes people make here is perhaps thinking that they can do self-education to get them um, a promotion perhaps within the same organisation, but it's not the same role. And just because you have the same employer doesn't necessarily create that nexus. It has to relate to your current income earning activity. Um, one of the other things I guess at the moment is there may be people that have being stood down, perhaps because of the current COVID um, situation, and they might be using this time to actually do some sort of self-education. And look, I think if you've been stood down with the clear expectation that you're going back to that position once things improve, I would argue that anything you're incurring there has that nexus. But if you've been um, uh, terminated, sorry, your employment's been terminated, hopefully you haven't, um, then <laughs> I think that you've got a real problem because you just don't have a link. You just don't have the nexus to that um, income earning activity. And so any self-education you're doing to, to make sure you hit the ground running when you see that opportunity, um, unfortunately, is not tax deductible. Right, thank you. And just remembering that the first $250 of any self-education is not not deductible, but there's a twist there, yeah. isn't there? Absolutely. So in my view, it's pretty easy to get around this one. So there's a really old provision, Section 82A, which basically limits the amount of self-education expenses that you can claim as a deduction under Section 8-1. So because or how the calculation works is you look at all your expenses with respect to self-education, reduce that by $250 and that figure there is the maximum amount deductible under Section 8-1. But when looking at your total self-education expenses, you can actually bring in things that are not deductible <laughs> under Section 8-1. So I personally would probably drink $250 worth of coffee in my self-education. That's an expense you could bring into account to actually, I guess, work out the, the limit you've got there under Section 8-1. And um, again, I'm being teased by my colleagues because I'm waving my hands around a lot, which none of you online can see. <laughs> so, and being serious here, because this is a serious podcast, um, just with that, you know, like you're talking about coffee, but that could be childcare. Um, that oh, absolutely. Childcare, travel. Parking at the uni, travel, all of yep. those sorts of yep. things that normally would not be tax deductible. Use up your 250 then you can claim yep. deduction. Okay, yeah. so clothing. And these days that's easier. Yeah. Oh, clothing? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so clothing. Um, I'm so just looking at the time here. We're having such a good time. I'm thinking we should be sort of wrapping things up. So, yeah, we'll yep. go with I'll, our clothing. I'll be succinct. 
Yeah. <laughs> Look, with clothing, again, uniform, we know, um, well, effectively, there's four categories. Jen, Jenny's touched on the protect, protective clothing already, so I won't do that again. Um, occupational specific, really, I'm not quite sure there's too much of that left these days anyway, which really leaves us with uniform. A reminder, you either have to have a compulsory work uniform, which means you're wearing a uniform part of an enforced uniform policy from your employer. That uniform needs to identify you as belonging to that employer. So just because your employer says our uniform's a black suit does not make your black suit deductible. What it needs to do is it needs to be a uniform where people of the public can look at you and go, aha, you work at Tax Banter or whatever it is. So I often use the example of um, back in the days when we could go to airports, um, you'd see air, um, aircraft crew walking through the airport. Now, they're not wearing identical things, but when you look at that crew, you know that's the Qantas crew or that's the Virgin crew because of the nature of the sort of collective clothing they're wearing. That's what a compulsory work uniform has to do. Now, if you're working from home, I'm pretty sure you're not wearing your um, compulsory work uniform. So don't claim deductions for laundry on those weeks. <laughs> that would be my tip this tax time. Right. <laughs> well, that's tip. beautiful because that leads us straight into, you know, is there any help? Is there a tax tip um, a toolkit um, from the ATO, Jenny? Uh, yes. The, the ATO's website's getting better and better, I think, uh, that... But also what they're doing each year now is they create these toolkits. So we've got 2020 tax time toolkits. Now they'll give you information about different uh, deductions and record keeping, talk about rental properties, occupation. But what they have is individual little fact sheets, which I sort of say are really good advertising material. But when you go into them, so there'll be like aviation workers and education workers and retail workers, there's about 36 of them. And you click onto that, it gives you all sorts of information. When you click on the word health worker it will take you to the word version of that which is what as accountants we tend to look at however what we have to remember is on the other side of that that tax time toolkit list there's a pdf link now if you click on the pdf link you actually get the glossy client version this is brilliant marketing material for accountants to send out to their nurses or their teachers or their whatever because it's quite you know, uh, visual and quite, com you know, complete, comprehensive in terms of what sorts of uh, items can be claimed and what sort of records our our workers need in order to be able to make those claims. So there's ample information that's there, but I'm not sure how many tax, uh, how many employees go to the ATO's website to look for this and then think to click on the, the PDF link to get the glossy version. So it's something that advisors uh, certainly should steer their clients towards or you, you know, use it as a marketing tool. But there is ample information out there that will uh, help help clients. And Jenny, they're very um, helpful when you've got one of those situations where, I mean, you're not going to pubs at the moment, but you find your client, your client comes in and goes, oh yeah, I was at the pub and all my friends who are nurses are claiming this or all the building friends are claiming that. Why won't you let me claim it? And you say, because it is not tax deductible and um, I want to sleep straight um, at night and I'm hoping you do too. And so when you're having that little argument, having something with the ATO letterhead with it 
glossy and you can shoot it off to them. This is the rules that I'm applying for you. Um, and, you know, knowing that you're signing the tax return as a tax agent or signing it as a taxpayer, you must look at those things. That's right. So, that's right. And it's not, it, it's, not, it's not me saying no, it's that it's not deductible, you know. And, and so many people think, like, for instance, I have a friend who's uh, had just become a personal trainer and, you know, this whole self-education and, and what she can and can't claim. And the reality is there's probably nothing that she can claim as an employee of a gym, which now out of a job, but on JobKeeper, uh, but as an employee of a gym, then there's not a lot you can claim, but we wear active wear all day, every day. Well, that's just conventional clothing. But the problem was also in terms of self-education that she started working in the gym and the admin team and then started her personal training course to get a, a, a different job. And again, it's like, but I only spent all this money and everyone else tells me that they claim all this. And you think, but you can't. And when you look at the health and fitness fact sheet, it clearly says you can't claim these things. So it's really good information in these fact sheets that uh, support agents when they're suggesting to the clients that they can't claim just because everybody else, as you say, down at the pub or the gym or the wherever, um, says that their accountant to lets them lets them claim. It's not the accountant letting or not letting. It's whether it's deductible or it's not. Okay, so um, have we noticed any, well, our, we've been speaking as we're going about errors. Is there anything else that we want to say about um, the errors that have been noted by, by the ATO or things that they're warning us about? One of the things that they have just come out with today with their fact sheet talking about the fact that what there's more than a billion dollars in tax refunds already issued. So here we are, middle of July, and there's a billion dollars of tax refunds issued. But they remind us of the prefill. I mean, I think the prefill is brilliant. It protects the client from themselves. But the earlier in the financial year, the less complete the prefill is. So some people racing off and doing their returns really early may have omitted income, which then means when that income comes through from the banks or the companies with the dividends or wherever, then the ATO is going to amend our assessment. So they're either not going to process it if they believe it's not complete to start with, or they're going to give us an amended assessment. Now we all get a lovely refund, we go and spend it, and then all of a sudden the bank tells us there was an another $4,000 worth of income that was missed and it's now been picked up and all of a sudden we've got a tax bill. So we've just got to be That's really right. careful. Yes. And I think they did, um, before the 30th of June, uh, asked everybody to hold off for at least um, a, you know, like two weeks. Mm. And of course, we know that there was a record number on the 1st of July, either trying to get early release of their super fund, doing their tax return or doing job uh, job keeper applications. So, you know, being uh, good uh, uh, tax citizens, they t totally ignored the ATO and went on it anyway. So, you know, and of course, you've got to remember that if, you know, with single touch payroll, you've got to wait for your employer to touch the button to say it's ready to go now. Um, if they don't, you don't have your PAYG summaries in the right place, etc. So exactly. I've just just wanted to finish off um, with just in this period too. Um, is there any reminders of um, rental properties, Lee, that you wanted to uh, to discuss? Yeah, look, I think that it's um, there's a quite a good fact sheet from the tax office. So we've got a quick code reference of six three zero four zero, and this is own a rental 
what you need to know this tax time. And of course, it's got the usual just discussion about things such as reduced income and the like with um, COVID and um, the current economic climate. But of course, there's some new things there. We no longer can get a deduction for vacant land. So if you've got great visions of building your rental property and you're holding the vacant land, unless you're there um, running a business, you're not going to get any of the holding costs. So that would be a a change most certainly in um, this year's tax return. But of course, also be careful. We don't get deductions for travel to our rental properties anymore. We certainly need to apportion for private use. And the tax office has a lot of really sophisticated data analysis type tools where they can identify, I guess, um, the patterns and and realise where perhaps you're using that property for um, for um, private purposes. Um, the tax office knows all about the short-term rental um, market, the sharing economy, so they'll know whether you've rented it out there or, or not. And if you've happened to get some um, uh, loss of rental income insurance, then that's also assessable. So just make sure we're, we're dealing with that one. Well, thank you very much. Um, have you got something else, Jenny, you wanted to? Oh, yeah, it was just, again, just the, the 13th of July, so just earlier um, this week, the ATO released on their website a couple of documents in relation to carrying on a business of letting property or providing short-term accommodation, uh, which is really useful because this whole Airbnb and, you know, uh, short-term accommodation as to whether it's a business and whether it's not and what you can and can't claim. Uh, so the ATO sort of... D- producing really useful information in relation to rental properties and that question of whether you are carrying on a business of renting the property or maybe it's a short-term accommodation in there as well. Great. Okay. Thank you. Well, I think I'll wrap it up um, here today. We've got a lot to think about and a lot to uh, make sure that we're getting right. So I'd like to thank um, Lee and Jenny. For, so thank you, Lee. And thank you, Jenny, for your um, information and uh, great banter today. Um, so thank you. Thanks. So Thank you. Okay. And so thanks for listening to this episode of Tax Yak. I've been chatting with Leanne Hayes and Jenny Dayborn, my colleagues at Tax Banter. If you'd like to connect to us on social media, you can find us uh, at Tax Banter on LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, let's, let us know your take on our episodes or suggest future topics or speakers. You can also get on to Tax Yak team on email podcast at taxbanter.com.au and find our regular blog articles and that's the one I was mentioning previously at taxbanter.com.au taxbanter blog if you're enjoying our podcast please make take a moment to rate and write a review for the show wherever you are it'll help to improve the profile of the show and we would love to hear from your thoughts Uh, Thank you uh, very much. It's Lynn Gibson signing off and we look forward to uh, you joining us next time. Mm